One of the uh, evidences of the resurrection is the fact that women were the first to see it and witness it and testify of the fact that the Son of God had risen from the dead. I say that as one of the evidences because not that in Jewish culture there was no regard for female testimony, but if you were going to fabricate a story that you wanted to appear credible, you wouldn't fabricate the story with women being the first to discover the event that you're trying to say happened when it didn't. You wouldn't do that. And so even for skeptics, and you read about skeptics who don't want to believe or want to try to find reasons and grounds to obliterate any faith in the Lord Jesus Christ or Christianity as a whole, they will struggle to find any kind of cohesive, uh, strong argument as to, as to why the record is given this way, except for the fact this is what happened. Women went to the tomb, and they found there it empty and discovered, as Mary was the first to meet with the risen Lord and realize that He was risen indeed. As I was reading about Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome, as it's recorded for us in Mark 16, early yesterday morning, I was, I was really blessed. Blessed enough that I, I read it with the brethren when I was talking with the Reverend Elder and Reverend Kelly yesterday and was encouraged by the account of what is in some quarters referred to as the, the myrrh bearers, those who came and had such attentiveness to the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, last week, and possibly next week, God willing, we will have a missionary focus again, as we did last Wednesday night. And when doing so, of course, you know, my mind, as I'm thinking about you know, last week, and I'm thinking about the, the other missionary I want to put before you, and thinking along these lines, um, you want, I mean, you want to. As a pastor, you want to see churches planted. You want to see missionaries sent forth. You want to see people raised to preach the gospel, to cross borders and oceans for Christ. And yet, as I was reading this, I was struck afresh by it's, the kingdom is not so narrow. It's not just preachers who go and communicate the gospel in the classic way in which we think. And so what was a blessing to me, I trust will be a blessing to you, because our God hates imbalanced perspectives. He's always addressing our imbalances, isn't he? You know, when you read the Word of God, you find constant our imbalances being addressed by the Scripture and by the Word of God, and he especially hates those external imbalances when we well, let's say we, there, there's permission to be harsh to ourselves more than there is to be harsh to others. And our tendency, our natural tendency, is to be more harsh to others than it is to ourselves. And of course, again, these things are rooted in our pride. Too often we have a narrow view of piety as if it finds its highest expression in becoming a missionary, in becoming a pastor, in becoming an elder, becoming an evangelist or whatever. We imagine that the highest piety is found in the deeds that such individuals give themselves to preaching and obviously maybe a more concentrated effort in prayer and counseling and so on. But, but our, Lord, our Lord gives attention in His Word to folks that don't fit that model. 
Love for Christ has countless expressions. Some people bring the spices. That's what they do. They bring the spices. They see a need, and they meet the need. They feel a burden that others don't feel. When they're making preparation days in advance, and when they are getting up early, when others are perhaps still trying to snatch a few extra minutes of sleep, they're at their work. This is important for us to learn, important for the children to learn as well, trying to teach our children little things, service in little ways, how to serve the Lord, teaching our children, for example, to, to make cards and send them to those who, who may be sick or going through some difficult time and encouraging them to give that kind of effort. Little things, because there are a lot of things they can't do. They don't have financial means and they're not able to maybe make meals and take them and all sorts of other things. And they can't go and preach the gospel and they can't go to a far-flung country and, and go in, at this stage of their lives, but they can do little things. And again, with our focus upon big things, sometimes we undermine the little things that the Lord and I say little, I don't mean that they're little, actually. They matter. They, they find space in the Word of God. Of all the things that could be recorded. Of all the things that are left out. The Spirit of God includes details that I imagine if we were in control of the record, probably wouldn't add in. So, tonight, we're looking here at this hanging our thoughts around this idea of bringing the spices. So that's what they did. They, they brought the spices. And in doing that, in bringing the spices, I think there are lessons for us here as we think about the context of it as well. First, consider then the diversity. The diversity, the diversity of those who brought these spices, because they're not all the same. We have, first of all, diversity of background. And you have the women mentioned in Mark 16, and the particular names that were there, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome. And I'm not going to go into any extensive uh, biography of these individuals and what the Scripture records for us, but Mary Magdalene, of course, who's put first, is the one with, let's say, the most, um, the history. The hist she has the history. And sometimes her history, I think, is embellished when she is made out to be an immoral woman, maybe even a prostitute. Scripture doesn't tell us that. Maybe, maybe she was, I don't know. We're not told that she wasn't. But what we are told of her, and again, Luke is the one to tell us this, is that she was the one out of whom Christ cast seven devils. Was it exactly seven devils? Is the seven given as a superlative? Often seven is the number of perfection, so you have it here in a negative way. The superlative demonic possession. This is a woman who is oppressed. A woman who has a past that no doubt in some ways she would like to forget. And of course she's different from the others. They don't have this past. And so you find here a diversity of background in these women who are representing uh, the body who have come for this, this purpose of bringing the spices to anoint the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want us to remember that. I want us to remember that in any expression of service, some will have 
similar burdens, but they come from a completely different background. And your background doesn't exclude you from service. It doesn't tell you that, that you can't do this. And so she found company among others who did not have a background like her, but she was able to join with them and participate in that. The Lord had saved her and had taken her background and put it under the blood of Christ, cleansed her, transformed her, and made her one of the most affectionate servants of Jesus Christ, lovers of the Lord Jesus, so much so that she experiences his tender condescension, perhaps in part because there was a kind of cloud that followed her. And maybe she had a little bit of that, that feeling of her past following her and the, the looks of others that maybe thought, who are you? Who are you to be serving the Master? And at times maybe this past came and haunted her. It came to her mind again, some, sometimes like your sins do. They come into your mind afresh, even sins from years ago. They come into your mind and they, they cripple you in a moment, even though they're from years ago. And even though you've known victory, and you, you can testify to God's delivering grace, and you, you know that you're saved, and you know you're a child of God, and yet still this will, this will come and just haunt you in a moment when you thought that you were done with that sin, that you know you have forgiveness, and yet still it presses in upon you. Some of you know what that's like. Maybe all of you. Well, the Lord then condescends to reassure her at various times, encourage her. This woman who was tormented, maybe even had been on the verge, if maybe not even the verge, maybe right into the, the pit of insanity. And Jesus delivered her. So they're not all the same who come to the tomb that morning, bringing the spices. There's difference. And I, I hope our church has diversity as well. I, I hope so. I mean, there's diversity in our own homes. My children do not have the background that their parents have, and I hope they never do. I hope they never, ever, ever, ever experience what both their parents have experienced. And I hope they never think to themselves that there's some attract, something attractive about that world out there. But it doesn't make us better or inferior to them. Our backgrounds are just different. There's diversity. There's also a diversity of gifting in the fact that these women bring the spices. It's not like everyone was there. There are other occasions when there's a whole group of people of various sorts gathered together, but here it's just these women. And I dealt with this subject of gifting recently, back in December, I think, so I don't want to go over old ground, but again, you, you see this. I, this. I think this was the particular, at least the initial blessing that I felt when reading Mark 16 and, and pondering this. And I was pondering it because it struck me. It came, you know, you read a passage, the preacher reads like you read, and sometimes certain things jump out, and that was the case. I was just thinking about, you know, these, these women who brought the spices. I, I know where I would have been. I wouldn't have been bringing the spices. 
I don't know where the disciples were, but I'd probably be where they were, not, not where these women were. And yet, they're recorded. That's what the Spirit of God tells us. And I don't think that we're meant to miss what they're doing. That it's not just saying that they came. They came with positive intent. They came with a positive desire. And we'll see that in just a moment. But there's, there's a difference here. I'm not saying that all the disciples had to be there either. That's not my point. My point is there's just, there's just differing gifts. I imagine that at least among a number of the close followers of the Lord Jesus, there wouldn't have been the inkling of thought to do what these women did. And we'll see it in just a moment. It, it began with preparation a couple of days prior. Acquiring the spices. Getting the resources together to get that. Looking ahead to what would be needed. And given the fact that our Lord had just died in the most gruesome manner, causing hearts to sink, I don't think anyone's mind is on this. But but the, the mind of these women was on it. And that's the point. In this body, in this very body, and it's one of the blessings that you see in every church in varying degrees, certainly on display here, is the variety of burdens across men and women of various ages in which I get to see people do things and have burdens for things and give themselves to things that I haven't even thought about never mind performed. And I just sit back and say, this is great. Great. <laughs> Thank God for, for they, they see that. I mean, they, they see that thing. There are particular details that I don't see. They see it. And so bringing the spices would not, I don't think, have been something I would have been thinking about. But these women were. It just, I guess, again, compounds that idea of the diversity of gifting. Beloved, never ever fall into this narrow perspective as if your calling, your place, your work, your attitude, and everything about you is the epitome of Christian example. The variety is intentional. Go and read 1 Corinthians 12. You see it. The Spirit of God has made it so. And so the same Spirit gives us examples in the life of Christ. In the Gospel accounts, He gives examples for us. So we see that it's not just theory. You see it in practice. Even in those that surrounded our Savior. Secondly, the example. You see here diversity, but also example. A few things. There's an example here of sacrifice. To bring these spices would have required sacrifice. First of all, there's a financial sacrifice. And some of these women were, were women of means. They were. We know that again from Luke uh, 8. That they were ministering on the Christ of their substance, meaning they had substance. So you can ask, where did they get it from? I, we're not told. I don't know. They were, they were women of substance. They had means. And you go through the scripture wreck and you find various women. You find Dorcas's, you find the Lydia's. Is there a woman of there? <laughs> There's certain, at least certain aspects of Proverbs 31 that these women fulfill up early in the morning for the rest of their family and see a 
plot of land and buyeth it and all the rest of it. I mean, these women are in the Scripture. And so were these such women? Again, I don't know, but they, they had means. But it required financial sacrifice. They, they purchased these spices, which would not have been easy of easy reach for most people. Any of you who have had to go through the process of uh, burying a loved one will, will know that, that first feeling of like being dumbfounded at the cost of anything related to death. You'll be absolutely dumbfounded. If you haven't gone through it, due course, no doubt you, you will, and you'll be amazed, absolutely amazed, not just the, the, the plot and the casket and all, there's a whole host of things, and when you start adding it up, it can get rather eye-watering. And I imagine, for the most part, anything related to death in the past, as well as in the present, has always been expensive. It's never been easy, generally speaking. What's been involved, even the rituals of paganism and other things, it, all, it always involves money, involves sacrifice. Well, the Jews didn't embalm, but with decomposition, their practice was, if they could afford it, to anoint the body. And this is what they're doing. So they sacrifice, there's financial sacrifice here. There is also the sacrifice of their sleep as well, because they're up. And that is emphasized in the account where they're coming very early, very early in the morning. Very early in the morning. And so they had to get together at a certain hour, probably when it was still dark. And I don't know, you know, a certain time these women had made this arrangement very early. They get together and they make their way. So there's a sacrifice there, just in a practical way. And I, I think, I hope I'm not reading too much into it, but a sacrifice in terms of overcoming their fear. Overcoming their fear. Because going to the tomb, I mean, there was a, there was a lot of drama that was surrounding the death of the Lord Jesus. And the desire to put a watch so on and so forth there. And these women who are going on their own, while it's dark, may have been naturally fearful, and yet they overcome their fear. They, they put to death fear, which, which is, is what we do when we serve the Lord, isn't it? There are many times the Lord calls us to do something and we are fearful, but we, we by God's grace, faith triumphs the fear. We say, I have to do it. It's for the Lord. He's worth it. He is worth it. And so they, they carry on by God's grace. And they did the same. So there's an example of sacrifice. Of preparation. Like I say, when you, when you read the account, you find out that this, this goes back to... Um, look, well, look, uh, Luke 23. The last verse. They returned and prepared spices and ointments and rested the Sabbath day according to the commandment. So they're doing this before the Sabbath. They're making preparation before the Sabbath. So all of this has to be prepared. Prepared spices and ointments. So they're looking ahead. There's a lot of forethought here. So they make preparation. And so it is for much of the service we give to the Lord. Things eat. Some people may try to do things 
last minute. But generally, that is, that is not what the Lord looks for. Now, being ready, we have, we have a saying around here, if you haven't heard it yet, RFA, ready for anything. And that's true. You should be ready for anything. You know, uh, you just never know when you're going to be called upon to step in for a last-minute Sunday school class or whatever. That's, that's a good policy, but that's not the same as knowing ahead of time that there's a responsibility or there's a job to be done and you're just you're, you're careless about preparation. Generally, the Lord blesses preparation. Now, there are some exceptions to that. When our Lord taught his disciples when they were going to be given over to the councils and so on, to take no thought of the things that they should say. They're, they're being told that they were going to be in that position. They might fearfully start trying to articulate what argument they might give as they stand before courts and account of their loyalty to Jesus Christ and so on and so forth. But he says, don't, don't, don't worry about that. The Spirit will teach you. But that's not the same. We don't take that, and I think some do, but we don't take such, such a verse and say, well, preparation is not needed. The Lord will help me. No, you prepare. These women prepared as well. Even think of, think of the things. Think, think, <laughs> think of all the things that go on here. And there are a lot of folks that go around and don't think about it. But all the preparation. That, there's, I, maybe we should do it sometime. Like a list of all the things that are done here. Like all the different pairs of hands that are involved for all the different aspects to, from week to week in this place. Everything from cleaning to the women who buy food in preparation for fellowships on, on the Lord's Day and everything else. I mean, it goes on and on and on. There's, there's so many areas, the, the, the financial operations and everything else, all things that happen. And uh, most of us don't know what the others are doing, but this, this wheel keeps turning. And it does so usually through people being prepared ahead of time and being able to exercise the work. And so we're told that, there, again, Luke 24, verse 1, bringing the spices which they had prepared. They had made preparation. They're ready. This isn't just waking up in the morning and coming up with a grand idea. They had prepared. And that's, that's an example for us too, thinking about our service and how to prepare best for it. There's cooperation as well, an example of cooperation. Someone had to come up with this idea. Someone did. The genesis of the idea arose in someone. I can't imagine they're all just sitting there and they all just, you know, said it at the same time. Someone said it first. And instead of thinking to themselves, I have a great idea, I'm going to keep it to myself. <laughs> they said, no, let's, let's, let's work, let's do this together. Do you, want, do you want to join in? Do you want to help? And that's, that's also, that's also, because some of us struggle with cooperating. We, we, we like Whatever excuse we give, that we want the job to be done properly, so I'll do it myself. <sighs> if, if that was the case, the Lord Jesus would never have appointed the apostles. Because of the job of preaching the gospel to the ends of the earth, needed to be done properly in that sense, he might as well have done it himself. But he doesn't. He disciples and he trains and he prepares and he equips. And though that equipping isn't to the level that he was at, they're not perfect, yet there is this discipling and training and preparing and bringing alongside and, and having them with him as he's doing his own ministry, conducting his own ministry. There's cooperation. And so think of the areas, and, and your parents need to learn this as well. You, I mean, you probably have. 
You know that in making the meal, having your six-year-old daughter help you is probably going to slow you down, right? But at some point, you need to get involved. You just have to. You have to sacrifice the time. You have to make that kind of cooperation so that she learns and she's not 21 saying, Mom, I don't know how to fry an egg. You know, like, you know that, right? That's the same. The same in other ways, too. When you're fixing the car, men, they're doing all the things outside, taking the children along, showing them. They're going to ask all these questions. What's that, Dad? And what's that? And what does that do? <laughs> you have to explain every little part. What's that? You know, I had one today asking me about the transmission in the car. What's that? What does the P mean? What does the D mean? Asking me. And well, you just answer, but this is part of it, isn't it? And so even as a church body, seeing that, who can I bring along? I don't want to just do it so that I get all the credit. Well, look at me. I brought the spices. It just says Mary Magdalene brought the spices. Good for Mary. All the limelight is on Mary. No, no. These women cooperated together. That's good. That's a good thing. Wanting to work with others. The Lord give us a good, healthy dose of that. I think we have it, but there's always room to be reminded of a good thing. And they're an example of motivation. Why did they do this? Why, why are they doing this? To be seen of men? No, there's probably hardly anyone around. They're doing it because they love Christ. And they love him so much, even, even his body in the tomb is worth serving. It's love for Christ. The love of Christ constrained them. It burst in them a reciprocal love. What can I do for the Lord Jesus? That, let that be an example to you. Why do you do the things you do? Why exercise your gift? Why work together? For your own glory? Perish the thought. Motivated by a love for Christ. Again, the, 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 the Peter and James and John, and the, did they love Christ? Yes, they did. These women had a love combined with their gifting, their willingness to sacrifice and prepare and cooperate together. This unified love for Christ drove them to do something that's recorded here for all of us to learn from. Finally, the picture. Diversity example. And there's a picture here as well. The picture, and it's like spiritualizing this here, but I, I couldn't help but see it, is service to the body of Christ, isn't it? What are they doing? They're serving the body, the, the actual body of Jesus. And what a picture that is for the Christian's calling. I've told you. I've stated it. I state it again. Paul was an evangelist. Paul was a church planter. But it wasn't just the preaching of the gospel that motivated him. It wasn't like just by preaching he found some 
zeal in the, the heralding. It wasn't that he felt a burden to, I want to stay on the earth so I can keep heralding the gospel. His burden, when he had a desire to depart to be with Christ, Philippians 1, was to be with believers and minister to believers. And what, what that reflects is Paul with this, Paul, why do you feel that? I mean, if you, if you really love Jesus, if you're this spiritual giant, if you're someone we should aspire to be like, why would you feel any tension to anything in this world at all? Shouldn't it just be heavenward? Shouldn't you say, I have no desire to be in this old world anymore. Just take me to be with Jesus. No. You want to know why? Because of the theology that undergirded his motivation. The theology is this. There's little difference. In being in heaven, serving the head. Being on earth, serving the body. Now, there might be some distinction there. But, generally speaking, it's enough of a recognition of what's going on theologically in what the believer rightly living his life is doing. That, is it any real higher service? Maybe to some degree, but not to be exaggerated. Not to be exaggerated. As if down here we're just all wasting our time and ticking over until the Lord takes us into glory. No, we are serving his body. That's what these women did. They anointed the body. Beloved, this is your calling. Find some way to anoint the body. What was the anointing to do? It's to refresh it. It was to give it that aroma that would suppress the natural understanding of decomposition and so on. That was the reason behind it all. And the church, the, church needs, the church needs all of its members functioning in a way where, what are we doing? We're, we're anointing the body. We're bringing a, a fragrance, a pleasant fragrance into the life of the kingdom by our words, by our actions. It is also a picture of misplaced zeal, isn't it? It is a picture of misplaced zeal. Because they were not expecting the resurrection. <laughs> As I thought about that, I thought about how much labor we engage in that is not quite in line with what God is doing And yet still the record here is not given for us to mock or denigrate their service, is it? I, I, that's not how I read it. We're not to see, look, oh, faithless women going to anoint the body that was already risen. If only they had realized and listened to what Jesus had taught. If only they had known the Old Testament scriptures and understood what was happening. I, I, the record is not given for us to take that approach. And so we gain a comfort there because much of our service that we do, we may discover, I don't know if we will, but we may discover, and sometimes we may even see it, given enough time. We get this, <laughs> I, was, I was laboring in this thing and 
It was misplaced zeal. Maybe some of you have known that. I mean, because you've grown through your knowledge over time. You have matured and you look back and say, I was involved in something. It was really. And I look back. I was so foolish. And yet, and yet, you see, I think you could probably see that the Lord was in some way blessing you, encouraging you, despite the fact that maybe the context or what you're involved with wasn't quite right. I don't want to take that to extremes, but I think, I think there can be times. In all sincerity, we're trying to serve the Lord. We learn later it maybe wasn't the best expression. We could have done things better. And yet still, he's not, he's not looking down from heaven mocking us for our sincere service, is he? And just as he records here, the Spirit of God records here the details of what these women did, I think, to honor them. Even though they... He's risen! The Lord help us. Bring the spices. Those of you who will never be preachers, right? Bring the spices. Whatever that is. You moms, dads as well, young people, children, bring the spices, whatever that is. Helping the parents, helping the church, holding the door open. Some of you, it's encouraging. Go out there and the young men are holding the door open. That's, that's bringing the spices. It's little ways, learning to serve. The Lord help us all. We're going to sing. Great hymn. Let's sing it our best.